Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. What's our topic today, Josh? Oh, dear Lord. You know, I'm old. I just forgot what we talked about. <laughs> Holy crap. Now I'm scared. I blanked out for a second when you asked me that question. Like, oh, dear Lord, what did we just talk well, about? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, my God. I feel, I feel like, what did we talk about? Yes, yeah, so we talked about trying to find the right amount of process. Bob had a very um, descriptive Maximus minimus radius. Radius. <laughs> something, something like I that. I was watching Gladiator. Yeah. So trying to help people understand whether they have too much or too little process or in the rare, wonderful world, maybe you have just enough and it's just right. Well, I don't think so. Very few have it. But how do you get to just right? And how do you know what it looks like? How do you and, know when you're there? What's your target? And how do you evolve to that? Yeah. So there's that. Uh, what else about us? Travels? Uh, any travels for you? No, not, not so much. No, it's summertime, so everything's. So the next thing for me is I'll, I'll be if anyone any Metacaster is going to the Agile Conference in San Diego, that'd be the next place that I'll be. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for a few days, like Monday through Wednesday, so you can look me up. Um, we have a nice video out there. We do. I'm going to share that out. Yeah. Are you uh, very handsome faces? So we have the Bob and John, the live Metacast at the Path to Agility in yeah. what was it, Columbus? Columbus, yeah. Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Josh was incredibly interested in Ohio State. I think they made him an honorary Buckeye. Uh, it was terrible. And, yeah. <laughs> Even my kids said something like they watched the video, like, "Ooh, Dad, were you okay?" <laughs> For those of you that don't know. Ohio State and I are not friendly. That's were, a that's a silly old story that makes no sense. But well, regardless, the, the place where we were meeting had a Buckeye uh, sitting, uh, a bronze Buckeye sitting on a bench in in an open area. And as Josh and I walked by it, you would have thought the devil incarnate <laughs> was there beckoning him to go to hell. Right? It uh, just was not a good impression. No, it no. was not. It was no. not. And this was this wasn't fake. So sometimes Josh, we both like fake it. This was absolute uh, detestation. It is real. I can't say there's sound logic and And we don't want reason behind it, but it doesn't matter. That's another Metacast episode. We could just let you see a ridiculous Uh, issue I have. It's a scar. So, so, uh, but the video, we'll get the video out for everyone. But look at the video. I think the video is a nice compliment to the Metacast. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's about an hour. Uh, share it, like it, whatever you can do. Same thing with all of our podcasts on whatever platform you're on and Patreon support us. Sponsors are taking a break over the summer. We're going to pick back up in the fall. So support us with Patreon. And we've been a little lax on getting Metacast out a little slower. So it's the summer. We always have a summer law. So bear with us, get the word out. uh, And then we'll get back to a regular tempo sort of in the fall. Absolutely. Regular tempo. So uh, on to the episode. On to the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Gatlin. And Bob has the most exciting title for a podcast ever. Are you ready? No, it's not. We were talking about getting oh. getting to the middle, yeah, like getting to the right process, mm-hmm. and sort of not having heavyweight, and yeah, not having lightweight, but yeah. having right weight. And I I thought of you know uh, maximus, minimus, radius, yeah, 
as being the title for the podcast. Did you just watch Gladiator last night or something? I could have. I could have been Maximus Bob Galen. <laughs> His name was Maximus, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Maximus Aurelius. Yeah. Swartius. That was him. Right. <laughs> okay. So try, trying to figure out what that means to people, for those of you that are listening in your car or wherever you may be, inspiration is thinking about some of the work we did at the dude. And then I visited a friend's company on Friday. They're going through a good amount of growth and they started asking about the agile donut and the things we did because they had heard and seen some of the things we were doing, trying to find the right amount of process for them. And then Bob and I were also talking about some of his customers and just, it kicked off a thought in my brain about one of the things that I struggled with er early in my career was having this process that I put in place on day one, it was that way forever and not understanding the evolution that needed to happen that for five people, the amount of process you need is way smaller than it is when you're 50 people and 10 teams and getting people to understand number one, that that evolution has to happen, but also how to recognize that you have the right amount of process and not too much and too little. I mean, I think there's a, so there's an evolutionary aspect to it, which mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Uh, what else? There's a, there's some anti-pattern or pattern aspects to it. Like I, um, I, I see a lot of, so two patterns that come to mind is I see a lot of clients where the leaders drive heavier weight process. Mm -hmm. uh, the PMO drives heavier weight process than they need. And they do that from a historical perspective. Like we've had heavyweight process and we don't want to, we don't want to give it up. Mm hmm right? So we don't want to evolve it. So I see that. And it's usually top work. It's usually heavier at the top of the organization mm -hmm. that's driving that. I also see another pattern that's teamward where the teams want to be simple. Maybe this is a reaction to the heavier weight stuff, but when an organization is going agile, uh, I see uh, they almost throw all process out. So the team reaction very often, maybe not at the dude mm -hmm. or, or not at your, your friend's company, but a lot of times it's like we're we're not going to do any process at mm -hmm. all right you've 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 had us in shackles for for 10 years yeah. and we are now free and unshackled so screw it all um and that's not right so incredibly lightweight uh, mm -hmm. so then you have to come in and almost like weight them up to some degree have you seen any have you heard of or seen any of those things from it yeah at at, at teradata there was a moment we've talked about this on previous episodes where the the team, and this was like 35 people came and said, Hey, we want to go to Kanban because they were reacting to that because of Teradata, as you remember, very heavy from the top down on process. And we were putting agile in place. So they wanted to try Kanban. And I said, okay, but I knew in my head it was going to struggle because of everything that was in there. But so I let them try it and run with it. And then they realized, okay, gosh, let's, let's come back. Scrum was really the right, right thing for us, but at least. They, they owned it. They understood it. And now they were, they had a true sense of why the process that was in place was in place as opposed to just Josh said or blah, blah, blah. Right. So they were able to experience what it was like with less process and they had to experience what it was with more process. So now that, that helped us narrow in on what the right answer was for us. See, I've seen organizations that really struggle. Uh, again, this is the episode with nameless clients. So there was, uh, or friend, colleagues uh -huh. that I was coaching not very long, but I was invited to a local client in this area that had a, a bunch of scrum teams and it was sort of a division or an organization and they had the leadership team. So I met with everyone, but the leadership team had sort of left 
the teams under the banner of Agile, they had let the teams do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and every team, you know, picked its own processes. Mm-hmm. Every team picked its own tools. Yeah. So literally, literally wow. like out of a hundred scrum teams, there was probably 30 different agile tools in play. And I'm not, that sounds challenging. <laughs> and, 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 and they were trying to actually forecast these teams were working on related products. Yeah. So the, so they, these were literally integrated teams from a product point of view, wow. but in, inside themselves, they weren't integrated at all. Um, and it was really hard. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really hard to like sort of bring process into a place like that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, we can talk about evolution, Mm -hmm. but it's not easy to evolve groups like that because there's resistance, right? They, they really, they really resist it. It's the same thing from the top. I've seen the same thing that from the top, you know, I guess I don't, the point I'm really trying to make is I don't know if they go there on their own. They need someone to help them sort of figure it out. Well, so it's evolutionary. I buy the evolutionary, yeah. but I think I think an aspect of, now that I'm thinking about it is guidance. Mm-hmm. Well, so think about at the dude, and we, we talk so often about the dude and how things went so well there. We had a lot of things go our way, but when we first did our initial PSI planning, and I had you come in and talk us through and explain why, and just, just to get people on board and understand, just the initial, the initial reaction was terrible. Yeah. Everybody was terrified. They thought it was a blood oath. It was a commitment. All this baggage that people brought with them from the past came rushing to the forefront right. and they were keeping this at arm's length saying, no, we're not going to do this. Right. We did it. And over the coming months, people understood the value of it and began to ask for it and said, we need to do Correct. this more often. But so many people have been so burned, I think, by that top-down approach. And it was us as a leader saying, hey, here's the process we're going to use. Right. And that initial reaction of, oh, crap, we're in trouble because the bosses are saying we're going to do some super heavy process. And this is scary because everyone's been burned by right. something like that. So I think it's – I think what I'm – maybe, you know, for this cast, I'm, we're surrounding, like, evolutionary process and getting to just right. Mm-hmm. Um I think part of that is evolution, like organizations learning. But I, th- I think what I'm sort of trying to talk about is I think it needs an expert guide. Yeah. Right. I, I think, I, I think it needs a coach and a guide. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming back to the dude. I think you were a guide there mm-hmm. and you guide experiments mm-hmm. and you push teams a little bit over their comfort zone. And in some cases you're pulling based on our experience, you're put, you know, sometimes they may have gone too mature. You, mm-hmm. you think they have it and you have to pull them back. Mm-hmm. Or in some cases they're not mature enough. They haven't gotten to just right and you push them a little bit. Now you're doing this. It's almost like sort of triangulating your car. You're looking at the dashboard. You're making fine tuning adjustments, right? Mm-hmm. Steering wheel brakes, speed, right? You're observing the landscape. That's sort of that metaphor. Uh, I don't know if you don't have an expert driver. I think it's really hard for organizations to do that on their own. So I see a lot of, and, and I think what happens is they get stuck. Yeah. Right. They either get stuck back to my point. They either get stuck with very immature. So they get stuck on the, the minimus and maximus. Right. And, and they don't get to radius. Uh, would you, now I'm amplifying the role of a coach or a, yeah. guy, a guy so the, or a I, leader. It doesn't have to be a coach. I, yeah. The thing I'm coming back to based on what you're saying is you need somebody that knows what right looks like. Exactly. I don't Because think otherwise right, you're I just kind of thrashing. So that's one of the things I want to center on is trying to give folks some way to understand or to start to recognize right, right. for them. Um, 
I, I, so that way they can at least start to make the tweaks and stop I agree. going in circles. See, I don't think there's this notion in Agile of we what we do retrospectives or uh, we do uh, you know continuous improvement kaizen mm-hmm. events. And so there's this notion in Agile, and I'm going to say something that's going to sound really maybe unagile, but that that teams of their own volition can sort of, you know, the wisdom of the crowd, they can figure out directional soundness. Mm-hmm. And I sort of get that, but I think it needs someone to steer it a little mm-hmm. bit, like, like a sports coach or something, mm-hmm. someone who's been there and done that. And if you take that, if you don't have that, if it's just folks going through and their hearts are in the right place mm-hmm. and they're skilled, but they're trying to figure things out, but they have no compass point. Right. I, I think <clears throat> I actually, I have rarely seen an organization without expertise. Well, but the sports get to right. metaphor is the right one, right. right? Golf. I can watch YouTube. <clears throat> I can do all kinds of things. I can practice. I can go to the driving range. I'll get there eventually. Maybe. But if I hire and slowly, a coach that's been there and done that and seen the mistakes and made the mistakes and coached yeah. other people making the same mistakes, I'll get there a lot quicker yeah. and less painfully. And maybe I won't just throw my clubs in the lake because I'm just frustrated because well, I'm not getting better I'm, fast enough. Yeah, I think there's that. So I think just right requires that. <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be a an agile coach, but like you weren't, mm-hmm. you were coaching, but you were le- leading. Mm-hmm. You were, the, your your primary persona was leader. My, right. my contact, my primary persona was leader, Yeah, but I coached, uh, or you could be a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is the organization has to, they sort of have to align with you. There's this trust thing that has to happen. Yeah. Right? So there's a bonding or something that has to happen between the team and the coach or the team and the leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but there, there has to be sort of an acknowledgement that you've been there and done that. Yeah. And that bonding is, is built on trust. So there were things I did at the dude to establish that trust and get them to understand that where my interests lie and it was in them succeeding. And once they saw and understood that, then that opened the door for me to push and challenge and ask folks to operate in a way that was different than the way they had done. But I had established that trust one from, some experience and showing that I'd been there and done that, but also actually proving trust and trusting them and showing it and, and, and and being that first person out. Well, I think one of the things that 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 person has to do is model the behavior Mm -hmm. that, that they, uh, they espouse. Right. Right. So so you have to walk your talk is another way of saying it. And you have to be very consistent with Mm -hmm. that. So that's what just right. looks like from the coaching point of view. Uh, I remember you said something at the dude is minimal viable bureaucracy. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe that was something you were doing to bring it from the top down. Remember I said that yeah. right? organizations like the complexity and mm-hmm. it's hard. So I think just, I don't think just right is a checklist. Uh, so I'm putting out there, I right. think just right is let's, let's say we have an organization that has heavyweight on the top end and the teams have gone really lightweight on the bottom end. Mm-hmm. So then as that guide, what are you doing? You're goosing the teams up incrementally mm-hmm. and you're introducing process but your descaling process yep. from the top down and you can use metaphors, for example, you know, you don't, you don't rip documents out of people's hands, but you can reemphasize and communicate like metaphors, like minimal viable bureaucracy mm-hmm. to the entire leadership team. Yeah. So talk about that. Do you see, is that how you get to just right is sort of maybe from both ends to some degree? Yeah, that that's how we got there. And we, we stole that from Spotify. That was something that they led with. And then we expanded on it and made it minimum viable, everything. 
what's the least amount of everything we can do to meet the needs of the business, the teams, the product, all of that stuff. So we ingrained that mindset across the board. And as far as coaching up and getting people to understand that the process they were demanding, asking for whatever was too heavy was along the way, I would say, look, we have that. Oh, we have that. And actually we do it every month. So it's updated every month and it's on this confluence page and you can see there and you can go and it's updated and people start to say, Oh, wait a minute. Agile does that. And you do that. And so it was surprising because they had this premonition of what it was and what it wasn't. And because we had worked hard at the three different levels of planning, right. That was already built in. So people just kind of turned around like, Oh, wait a minute. You mean you have that and you update that every month and it tells us this and then it gets adjusted. Oh, okay. I'm cool. But it was just assumptions that people made. Right. So, getting people to understand what they do and don't need was a key part and understanding that we had everything that they needed. There were things that they wanted, but then you ask those questions like, okay, what does that give you? Why do we do that? So the what map, does this have? So the mapping side. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, mapping uh, expectations mm-hmm. uh, to the agile sort of practices and just connecting folks to it. We have that. It just looks differently. Yeah. But if you engage this way. So. Right. And the key to me was understand why, like, why, why are you asking for this? Like, right. what, what is this right. going to help you slash us do? Right. And oftentimes they couldn't answer. And it was just, well, we've been getting this report for three years or whatever the answer is, or they had an answer and like, Oh, well that, that makes a lot of sense. How, how can we, with what we produce, solve that need. And maybe we make a tiny tweak and we keep doing everything we do and no one really knows, but we just present it slightly differently. And that meets the need of that request upstream. So it goes back to understanding your customers. Now, have you ever though, like you can't change it. Not everything maps at one time, I'm guessing. So, so have you ever, I have, have you ever done something like we're going to do this for a little while? Mm, Oh yeah. We're going to do this old report for a little while because we can't, just do we can't change everything upstream Mm -hmm. we can't totally pull the rug out from under them so you're using your judgment your expert as a guide your Mm -hmm. expert judgment to say you know what there's some agile stuff but we're going to do some historical stuff for a little while because we have to wean these people from yeah it's you gotta you've got to win the war okay and there's some battles you just like okay we're going to take a loss there some of that wisdom is but that's okay but that's that leadership wisdom of knowing what to what to sort of inject right now and how to leverage it and what, you know, we're not going to fight that battle right. right now. We'll fight that battle later. Right. But that, but that's understanding what your roadmap is. So again, back to a, put everything in a roadmap. You have your product roadmap, roadmap out your process change and understand these are the things I want to get to. And this is about when I hope I can get there. And these are the steps along the way that I need to do to get there. And some of those battles you ask yourself, does fighting this battle help me get to the next step in my roadmap? Yes or no? Right. No. Okay. Then just leave it. Let it go. Right. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's go figure out how we can attack that and solve that problem. So it's, it's, it's applying the same principles you do to your product. And I've said this a lot. I think you've even given a couple of talks about it where treat your process like a product right? and have a backlog and have a plan and refine it and improve it and get feedback and make adjustments and release it and change it. And everything you do with a product do with your process. Right. Now, going back to the team level, I think as leaders, sometimes we have to take the reverse approach is instead of de, you know, de-scoping process, we're introducing process. Uh, 
or we're fine tuning it uh, because I think agile teams have a tendency to go too lightweight mm-hmm. sometimes. And we have to come in there and say, no, no, we, there will be a definition of done. I know, I know at I contact, for example, very early on, I seemed like a, so I was, I, yeah. Yeah. I got challenged that I was talking out of both sides of my mouth, right? You're an agile coach, Bob, and you have all this experience, but you're telling us to do this, 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 and this. And I was being prescriptive. Yeah. And I was being prescriptive because there was no baseline. There was no baseline process at a team level. Yeah. And I was trying to build sort of muscle memory. I was trying mm-hmm. to build, you know, craftsmanship. So there was a method to my madness, but I couldn't always, you know, I couldn't always argue it. Yeah. With folks because it, it was, you know, they didn't have my experience. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always non-negotiables with me. There are certain things where we're just going to do it and the team knows. And this team I was with last, there've been a couple people that this was their second time working with me. And we had started to transition into a Kanban model because it was just a better fit for who we were, who we were and where we were going. And I found out, like a week or two later that they started to question in refinement. Like, why are we putting points on stories? Like what value? And one of the senior guys, like, don't say that to Josh, like, just don't even bring it up. Like, (laughs) it's just like, we'll just, we're just going to do Right. So they, from their perspective, like that's not a battle. We're going to fight. Yeah. So we were in a refinement session going through stories and putting things in priorities and things were going well. And it was the end. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask a crazy question. Why do we put points on these stories now? And people like fell out of their chairs. And the guy's like, I just, we were just talking about that at lunch because I thought you would never be willing to listen to them. Like, well, I'm not saying we do it. I'm just asking the question. Given where we're at right now, what value do we get out of putting points on stories? And we talked about it. And in the end, we decided to keep putting points on stories because it was the conversation driver. It was the thing that forced us to really think, is this a three or is this a five and have those probing questions to really discover what it was. So we didn't get surprised later down the line and the team got it and they understood that. But it was one of those things where I said, we're going to size, we're going to point and that's just the way it is. Don't cry about it. Right. But we started to ask questions, but still it's centered on the value that that ceremony was giving to us. Have we talked about non-negotiables in a Medicast? I'm oscillating and thinking that we have, or maybe we haven't. I don't like, think exclusively like an exclusive podcast, maybe in the starter kit from a long time ago. We, we said these are the things you have to have, bit. but I don't think we've had one dedicated to that. Maybe we do. We that. could do that in the future. Like what? And I, I wrote down a, as I was taking a note. I wrote down shoe. Mm-hmm. So to me, where I get the hair on my neck stands up is not. It's shoe level teams, mm-hmm. beginning level teams, non negotiables. Mm-hmm. After a year, I start caring less and less. Right. Right. I mean, we can have some debate around points or something, you know, or whatever. But if as a team matures, I'm like, oh, okay. Like if they're having the conversations, mm-hmm. right? And if they have they have like healthy conversations around the work, multi you know from multi perspectives, testing mm-hmm. development, then I don't care if you then throw out the points. Maybe right? You naturally you've achieved natural conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's consistent and it's healthy and it's respectful mm-hmm. and, and you're not just marginalizing. You know, it's not developers over everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but maybe they would be that shoe beginning team. And it's not just in the beginning. I mean, teams can stay in that shoe state for a year yeah. or, or, or to your point, changing companies. Mm -hmm. I think shoe also implies, you know, like if we've reformed a team, I mm -hmm. have a couple people that I've worked with before, mm -hmm. but that maybe we do that. So middle is guided. It's sort of maybe more robust from the bottom up as a general way, like sort of making sure that we're doing the things right, some craft, mostly at the top down organizations are heavyweight by definition. Yeah, it's, un it's so unfortunate. It, but it is. It's the truth of things, right? But uh, why? Because it, it's... <laughs> it's one of those things that like I want to understand of how companies get there. Because every company has always been there where it's like, oh, gosh, we do this. This is terrible. And we've done this. And it's just blah, blah, blah. I mean, Everybody I, hates it. I have another client that uh, I've, I've, uh, I was talking to them. So they're a safe client. Uh, they're using, <clears throat> they're using safe uh, 20 plus teams. They've been doing, uh, they had coaches come in and kick things off and then left, which is fine. They, mm -hmm. they had a good beginning. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and uh, they're doing uh, collab, you know, cross team product development. So probably of 20 teams, there's a cluster of maybe three groups of teams that are producing product lines, mm -hmm. if you will. Right. So they're working together, uh, but they don't do, they do team demos, but they don't do integrated demos. Mm -hmm. And the team demos are only for the teams and no one comes, no one external comes to them. Uh, and then there's no, like, uh, the only time that they, at the end of a train is the only, when they do the release actually is when the stakeholders get involved or something like that. So when it's too late, when it's too late and, yeah. but it's this thing of where's the demo. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting back to non-negotiable and it's not just having the demo. So part of non-negotiable is not, is not just having it, but how you're doing it. Right. Yeah. It's like, are you, so we're, oh, we're having a demo. Okay, what are the what are the characteristics of the demo? Mm -hmm. If it's a demo for the team to the team, well then that's maybe has very low to no, to minimal right. value. If it's of a demo to the to your stakeholder universe and you're getting feedback and they're coming and they're giving you engagement, well then you're starting to knock it out of the park a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but here's someone who's been doing Scrum for a year and a half and they're really not uh and I and I had some conversations with stakeholders and they're like we don't know what's going on until the release and you're like this doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense because everything's in place for you to have everything's that. in place for you to have and, and when i say that they look at me like i have three heads right they're like what are you talking about and and it's just it's just sort of this weird gap of maximus minimus but right they're they're not hitting right 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 they're just not hitting that middle ground yeah so that's something i want to try and define for our listeners is how do you know what right looks like? And I'm trying to work through in my brain a few descriptors that are more than just you've been there and you've done that and you've seen it. Because I don't want to go the the government definition of obscenity. Right. right. Like you can't define it. You just know it. Right. I don't think that's good enough. To me, the thing that we kept doing that Richard Core was always great about was he continually asked me because I was guilty of trying to bloat the process. He continually asked me, he would say, Josh, what problem are you trying to solve? Do we have that problem right now? And I'd say, oh, dang it. You're right. I'm already thinking, you know, we're going to hire one new squad every quarter for the next six quarters. So I'm, so I'm thinking five quarters from now when right. we have double the teams. And you, okay, you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll put that on the shelf. We'll revisit it. 
but that, but that was the thing of having someone ground me and having someone with the trust and experience and, and courage to say, why are we doing this? And then have those stakeholders, whoever they may be having that same trust, experience, and courage to thoughtfully answer that question. And more often than not, a thoughtful answer of that question is going to be, oh, you're right. We shouldn't do that. Can I bounce something off you? I just thought yeah. real quick. So I was watching a video and I can share it on the Metacast. Uh, Steve Denning mm -hmm. is uh, a guy in the agile community. Uh, and he, um, he's written a couple books, uh, but I'll cut to the chase. He did a video about a 15 minute video, uh, for InfoQ. And I, I was watching it the other day and he talked about three things, three keys to agile. Mm -hmm. And, and he was targeting leaders, but he was targeting everyone. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's the agile mindset. And he just said, so the number one thing to be agile, it's not tools, it's not process, it's not maximums or minimus, it's not any of that. It's having the mindset. Mm -hmm. And then he said, there's three key parts to the mindset from his point of view. Uh, one was having small teams. He mm -hmm. just left it, he just tried to keep it real simple. You have to have an agile mindset. Right. That's the, that's the number one thing that everyone has to achieve. Mm -hmm. So don't worry about anything else. Uh, small teams. Then he said, uh, relentless, uh, valuing of the customer. Mm -hmm. So a relentless connection to the customer, a relentless, you know, sort of discussion with the customer. So customer, small teams. He didn't say scrum or he didn't mm -hmm. say Kanban. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about network. And what he meant by network is it's not hierar non hierarchical, mm -hmm. but it's a network of people who are talking. To, to deliver that. So there's an interrelationship, small teams in a network fashion, mm -hmm. right, are collaborating to delight the customer. And they all have to achieve the agile mindset. Mm -hmm. So bringing it back, my, my point, uh, that leader, I think you and I have an agile mindset. Mm -hmm. So getting to just right is non, uh, it's, it's, it's non predictable. Would you buy it? I don't, you figure it out as you go. And, and, and we've said a million times, and this is where people really struggle is there is no silver bullet. So the process that worked for us at the dude yeah. might not work wherever I go in the future, but it might not be the right answer. But you're a guy who is guided. You have an agile mindset, mm -hmm. you have experiment and there's subsets underneath these mm -hmm. experimentation, right? But you, you sort of can guide it. Mm -hmm. You know it when you see it. You get a warm feeling when it's working from your experience. Ah, and you get a, right. and you get a, a tingling feel, a negative feeling when it's not. Mm -hmm. And you're ahead of people. You you have a mindset, mm -hmm. but it's not something you can. I think it's sort of you need a guide for the mindset to just write. You need someone with the mindset, with the experience, and then people around that person, like Richard Core. Mm -hmm. You met your Richard. You infected him with your mindset. Yeah. Right, uh, uh, the architect, Brent. Brent, yeah. Uh, you infect not everyone. Not everyone gets it. Mm -hmm. Not, I mean, people will listen to Josh, yeah. But I'm sure there's a handful of folks that you infected with that mindset, and now they're taking it outward, mm -hmm. and they're creating their own experiences. But their mindset is fixed, right? And it's hard to articulate that. Would you just right is around agile mindset? Yeah, it, it, it's it's knowing that there is no single answer. And that what you've got to do is find a spot for your team and your company where things are running smoothly. And you know what smooth looks like. Like smooth, it's that feeling where you you don't go into plannings or retros or refinement or demos scared. 
right. you know, yep. when, when those ceremonies are adding value repeatedly, not like once a quarter, they all add value, but every sprint they're adding value but we've to talked, everybody. We've talked with you before on the Metacast. One of the things I think you did again, dude, mm-hmm. is you were ahead. So part of the mindset is don't we have to be ahead mm-hmm. at eye contact? I was constantly looking ahead. But that's that's a role of a coach. Forget right. agile, but right. a, a, a sports coach, anybody, right? You, you have to see where that team or that person can go, and you have to challenge them to get there. Right. And where, put where, new, where are we? Put new goals in front of them that they may not think they can achieve, and encourage them and show them how they can make that happen. Right. And then guide them along that path. Exactly. So we're, we're sort of, in, you know, part of the mindset is not being complacent. Mm-hmm. It's part of the mindset is being sharp, yeah. continuous, not just saying continuous improvement, but really envision part of the mindset is envisioning. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I think we can go? A uh, part of it is team building where, who are my partners? Right. So not, not coaching everyone at the same place. I mean, you would create champions. Richard was one of your champions. Mm-hmm. So now I'm creating coaches or mini coaches who are my eyes and ears and who help me sort of evolve the organization. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if we're wrapping this up. Yeah, we're getting close. But I, I think it was, I think just right is, is sort of around that sort of stuff, uh, and aspects of, you know, courage and so, sort of the, you know, habits and practices, uh, around the mindset and principles. Yeah. So to me, the thing I'm, and I always try and wrap this up and give people something they can take away, which is what your, it's use, your job. Yeah. Right. I know. Cause it's hard with, the, with me. So I'll shut up with wild bill over there <laughs> is, Knowing what right looks like, the thing that I've come to is that if your ceremonies are adding value consistently and you don't walk out scratching your head saying, boy, that just didn't feel right, then you're in good shape. You need to continue to challenge those. But if you get that warm, fuzzy feeling on a recurring basis, then you've hit right. But it's but you can't get complacent with that because everything's changing around you. Your team is changing. There's probably new people. People are leaving new product introductions, new leadership, It just business changes. So you can't be complacent and say, yeah, I did it. I'm going to go rest on my laurels to Bob's point. You have to be ahead of the curve and see what's coming and continue to evolve. But if getting to what right feels like it's, if you ask does this add value to everything you do? And the answer is yes. Then you're probably pretty close. So there's two things I'm thinking. One action we talked about, and to wrap things up, so in follow-up Metacast to talk about the non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. But I just had this epiphany, and maybe oh boy, maybe we could have like a panel, a Metacast panel at some point, where we get a couple people who've been these guides. Mm-hmm. So, so okay. maybe not you and I, because folks on the Metacast, yeah, have they've heard, heard yeah. they've heard eye contact and dude mm-hmm. ad nauseum, yeah. but maybe get three. We could invite them real world people, not with toolkits or silver bullets. And they had to have been a successful, uh, Sherpa, mm-hmm. right? So they have, you know, the, the, the point is they've created somehow they've guided an organization towards pretty good agility. Yeah. And if we could get two or three of them, with us questioning and just creating a conversation, I think that actually might be a powerful discovery mm-hmm. because it's like, what have they done? What are the common things that they did? Right. 
right? What were the common pivots that they did? What what did they do? What didn't they do? Right? What were their lessons learned in evolving? Like like sort of you know the hand that they had yeah. in the in the organization. What do you think? You and I could sort of reach out. We can figure something out. There's a there's a guy at the at the same company that you were talking about earlier who may. Who might? Mm-hmm. Who's he's guided agile organizations? And yeah. There's some people. There's people in this area in Raleigh Durham. What do you think about that idea? We can figure something out. Yeah. Like, like, might, like that might th- be really good for a conference too. Yeah, or something like that. Like a three Sherpa. Yeah. You know, get three real world Sherpas and then sort of pick their brains because I really think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the Sherpa that's key, and you see that over and over again. The other thing you see is when the Sherpa goes very often. Yeah. Uh, the instance goes and, or, or what did the Sherpa do to make it more resilient? Mm-hmm. So did they leave Sherpas behind? But that requires intentionality yeah. to do that, right? Okay. So, yeah, let's stick a fork in this a little bit. Let's do so this. So, from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Bob's Gale. house. We're at Bob's we're, house. We're at Bob's house today. Yeah, so it's we, exciting. It is. It's What's a that? throwback. It, 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 when we were on the road, we would go to your place and mine. Yeah. So uh, we're on the road in Cary, North Carolina. I'm Bob Gamlin. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.